So, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Startup Safari. I'm very happy to be here today with you guys. My name is Linda Schallai. I'm the host and the producer of a podcast called Fintech Flow. Fintech Flow is a podcast on fintech uh, in the CE region and beyond. And by beyond, I mean everything else that uh, I'm interested in and I hope other people are interested in. So uh, that's what I'm doing as a hobby project for myself. And uh, today I'm very happy to be here at Startup Safari. In the next 90 minutes, it will seem like a panel discussion, but actually, we spiced it up a bit, and uh, while this is a panel discussion, it will be recorded as a podcast, and uh, it will also be released on Fintech Flow's channel as episode 17. So you can listen back to it, or if your colleagues or friends would like to hear what these amazing experts uh, had to say, then they can also later uh, listen back to it. If you would like to, please uh, join us and come a little closer. But if you would just like to uh, enjoy the view, that's also fine with us. So um, I want to get a little overview because in, I know in the US, Northern America, and in Western Europe, it's a clear trend that podcast listening and podcast listeners are really, really exponentially growing. So I would like to see where we are. Is any of you have ever listened to any podcasts? Please raise your, raise your hands if you did. Great, great. And uh, do you listen to podcasts on a regular basis? If you do, raise your hands. Thanks. I also do. I love, uh, I love it. I think it's a really great way of learning new things. And uh, then I guess there are some people here for whom it's the first podcast for them, right? I'm really honored to be the host of your first podcast, so let's get into it. Two thousand and eight was a groundbreaking year in the financial sector. In September two thousand and eight, the biggest bankruptcy filing in the US history happened when Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy, which popped the housing bubble and triggered the financial crisis followed by the Great Recession. In October 2008, Satoshi Nakamoto released the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin white paper. In this, he introduced a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, which was global, decentralized, and immutable. Its underlying technology later was called blockchain, which is, according to many experts, will have a much greater effect on our world than Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies altogether. Welcome to Fintech Flow, where we deep dive into the depth and complexity of successful startups, sit down with bright fintech minds, and bridge together the gap in mindset between the legacy players and today's innovators. With 10 years experience as a manager in the financial sector, MIT certified fintech expert Linda Schalai is prepared to put it all in play and to follow the flow. This is the 17th episode of Fintech Flow, and we will dive into the world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain today. I think this will be a sparking discussion if we consider my guests on Fintech Flow today. I'm happy to welcome Barnabas Debreceni. Barnabas is co-founder of Shinrai, a fintech startup that is on a mission to make Bitcoin and other digital currencies easy and fun to use for anyone, anywhere. He is also a co-founder and member of the director's board at the Hungarian Bitcoin Association. As you might guess, he is the crypto evangelist on the blockchain smokers today. Barnabas, welcome. Yes, uh, welcome everyone. 
it is uh, great to have our surprise guest here, who is actually Gary Gabler. He is a director at the Central Bank of Hungary. But we need a little disclaimer here, because I was aiming for a sparking discussion this morning. So I asked Gary to leave politics behind and be here as an expert. So whatever he says, it stands for as his opinion and not as uh, the official opinion of the Hungarian Central Bank. Gary, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for your invitation. It's great to join you today. And last but not least, it's a real pleasure to have our blockchain wizard with us today. He is Dan Daniel Sege, who is a leader of the Hungarian Hyperledger community and one of the leading enterprise blockchain experts in Hungary. And uh, actually, he is the one who is a uh, uh, distributed ledger architect, so he is building blockchains on a daily basis. So I'm really honored to have you here, Dani. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, so actually, I'm a technical guy, so it was almost too much marketing for me. <laughs> okay, we will give you a little more marketing later today because he will have a great um, um, session tomorrow where if you attend, you can build your own blockchain in a workshop that will be hold, uh, held tomorrow. We will get back to that. So what I would like to clarify before we get uh, to our podcast really is that today we will be talking about two main topics. In the first half of the panel, we will talk about cryptos. And in the second half, we will talk about uh, blockchain use cases that are non-crypto related. So let's start with the, with the first part. Barnabas, uh, could you lead us a uh, little bit, uh, telling us where we are about 10 years after Bitcoin was born, how many, how many cryptocurrencies are out there? Do people want them? Do people want to use them? And why do they want to use them? <clears throat> yeah, after 10 years, um, I could say that, uh, that cryptocurrency is here to stay. And, um, and um, I remember in the beginning, it was, uh, you know, first it was um, laughing, then it was being afraid of, then trying to subvert it, and now, now what we really see around is that um, financial institutions already started um, building on crypto, um, accepting crypto, um, 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 I don't know, using Bitcoin to transfer money to Africa. So um, there's a UK bank uh, with a pilot where uh, the bank's mobile app lets you uh, send and receive crypto directly. So we're now in the phase where um, it's, it's widely accepted and, uh, and people started using it. Um, but it's, uh, um, I, I think we're far from um, uh, crypto being mainstream and being able to serve uh, mainstream needs. So um, <clears throat> first, first of all, there's uh, the volatility risk uh, for which it's unusable for most people in their everyday life. Um, I know that uh, libertarians um, um, love it, but um, but for everyday use, they for everyday use you cannot really use uh, something like Bitcoin or or Bitcoin Cash. And uh, for that, uh, I'm I'm really um, optimistic about um, stable coins, so coins that have um, stable value. Um, so um, stuff like. Um, Dai or augment euro, so these are um, tied to the dollar or the euro, uh, respectively. Um, <clears throat> also, another thing that needs, I think, um, to be done or to be 
another thing to be solved is um, is security. So um, crypto has a new security model, and and we need to learn this new security model. And uh, and is it's not as easy as it sounds. So uh, yes, writing down twelve words on paper and then putting it into a safe place uh, that's the best way to lose your money because uh, the safest play you find for it, um, the higher the chance you won't remember it. Um, and, and that's what's happening usually. So um, there's quite a few obstacles, I think, uh, but um, these are um, um, these are problems that um, hundreds or thousands of uh, startups are, are working on um, to solve. Yeah, if you mentioned volatility, I wanted to get there later, but then uh, I just put up Bitcoin's uh, chart, uh, the price since 2011. So that's what you can see uh, till today. So can we talk a little bit about this topic? Because this is a hot topic, of course, always when Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies are in the picture. And I would like, I would be interested all of your opinions, because I guess this is not going to be agreeing with each other. Uh, thank you very much again for the invitation. Uh, why I am why I am here is because, uh, as a person and also as a member of the central bank, we are quite uh, happy to give every support for financial innovations. That's uh, why we set up a so-called fintech lab last year. We introduced the regulatory sandbox and an innovation hub to support all those uh, who are involved in uh, the innovations in the financial industry because we would like to have the whole financial system be more transparent, cheaper, and more efficient. So uh, as, as a leader of uh, fintech in the Central Bank of Hungary, we are also involved in cryptocurrencies and blockchain and uh, we have the central bank has quite a, a, a strict opinion on cryptocurrencies is that uh, it's not a currency it's not money because it doesn't meet all the criteria it, it doesn't have a legal uh, um, background for being a money but as an economist myself I think that cryptocurrencies doesn't have all the three pillars that the economics uh, uh, set for being uh, money and f the biggest problem is volatility the biggest problem is that you cannot use Bitcoin as a price representator because it has too much vol volatility itself try to uh, try to think uh, the milk price in, in Bitcoin and the, you, you would see the same graph for the price of the milk if you would see this in the shops every day Probably you would gonna go crazy in uh, in 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 very very uh, in a very short period of time. So uh, what do you think Bitcoin is or cryptocurrencies is? You just mentioned it's not a currency. In your mind, what it is? What is it? Uh, in my mind, it's uh, it's like gold in an electronic form. Gold is not a currency anymore. We had a system. 100 years ago when gold was the base of the currency gold was the base of the the uh, the the currency system not anymore why because gold doesn't meet all the criterias that is essential for modern monetary policy modern monetary policy tries to set the money supply to meet the money demand in 2008 
when the uh, financial system uh, gone quite crazy after Lehman Brothers bankruptcy, then the uh, Federal Reserve Bank in the US Federal Reserve System started to print money in a very crazy way. Actually, the dollar supply had been five times more since 2008. Now, it's, it's five, there are five times more dollar out in the world than in 2008. That's also true for the euro, not in that extent, but still it's, it's true for that. It's also true for the Hungarian foreign, because money demand has increased, and money supply had to cover that to avoid deflation, which is even worse than uh, severe inflation. Deflation could ruin a whole economy, as we saw it in the last uh, very big crisis, the Great Depression in the 1920s and 30s. So, uh, Bitcoin could not do that. Could not do that because it has a supply cap, actually. It cannot go up to more than 20 million. That's true for the gold as well. So, in my mind, it's an alternative investment. It can be a quite uh, good or quite bad investment, whether you <laughs> find the right time to join. Uh, but still, it's a speculation. And, uh, and, and we shouldn't or wouldn't consider it as a currency, as a money. Thank you. Uh, one, just one question. I know that uh, you cannot represent the central bank here, but what do you think as a natural person, what would the central bank say? Um, um, so if, if it's a form of investment, um, can um, a regulated uh, brokerage firm um, uh, tell their customers um, about crypto and um, um, enable them to purchase crypto and put it into their portfolio? Um, as far as it's transparent, as far as the uh, risks are represented and uh, told to the customers, then it's okay from the central bank point of view. Uh, actually, there's no regulation on cryptocurrencies yet. Uh, it, sh it wouldn't stay for long this way. I, I, I believe that, but uh, that's not the job of the central bank, that's the job of the financial regulator, the financial ministry, but we're in talks with them to have some regulation. But still, if we consider it as a commodity, which is, in my opinion, an electro electronic form of uh, community, then it can be represented as an investment, as an alternative form of investment, and it can be traded and sold by a brokerage firm. So it's totally okay as far as it is not sold as a currency. As far as it is not uh, represented as the, uh, the, how should I say, the uh, currency of the future. That's, that's, that, that's a very good point. Because sometimes salesperson, sometimes traders sell crypto assets, crypto assets in my opinion, sell crypto assets, as the future currency, as as a as a uh, as game changer, as a revolution, and so on, and this is a problem from an investor protection point of view. Donny, can I ask you, being the technical guy, how do you see crypto? We talked about uh, that being a great investment opportunity. Great, yeah, maybe it's a question of time. Um, how do you see that? So, yeah, as I mentioned, basically, I'm a technologist, uh, actually not an investment advisor. Uh, and for me, it's just always pretty much difficult to, to look at 
such a charts because if you look at such a charts it's not the technology itself it's what people think about the technology so if people and people are usually wrong because i mean the technology itself is so complicated that there's no chance to estimate it so what you see basically that's this last hype uh it means still not something as a mainstream adoption of cryptocurrency but which is a mainstream awareness so a lot of people uh became aware in the last three years that such crypto thing exists basically and they overestimated the the short-term value of that of that whole market and they probably underestimate the long-term value of the whole market uh so that's the chart basically chart is not something which is very strongly related on a short run to the technology but it's rather something a stock, stock exchange psychology so again it's just i'm not an expert in this in this topic uh just back to the topic so from a technological point of view bitcoin is one system and but even if we just stay with cryptocurrencies there can be many similar systems implemented so basically if like you know i mean i think so the technology is still in the early stage uh but i think all of the problems will be solved that we are discussing right here right now if it's going to be in 5 years or 10 years i'm not quite sure perhaps next year <laughs> but like you know so price volatility is one problem for sure uh but so there's one initiation that stable cryptocurrency uh stable coins that still in the innovating phase so don't invest <laughs> uh but on the long run it might solve the problem um one argument that you mentioned basically that the so basically bitcoin has a has a fixed uh, algorithmically coded uh, supply and of money uh it's one uh, 21 million bitcoin uh, which is which is issued in an algorithmic way but it's not necessary that it is such a way so i mean you can implement a similar system with an algorithm that hey there's a consortium of, of central banks for instance and the central banks can decide if we issue more currency or not it's just more difficult in the other direction because but anyway so it's it's something uh which can provide the technology itself so bitcoin is just one example uh which will be improved uh, and all of the points that we are discussing right now i think will be solved in in 5 10 years so stable coins uh, just to clarify are uh, special uh, cryptocurrencies that are designed to solve uh, one of the biggest uh, problems of cryptocurrencies which is volatility am i right can we dig a little deeper in that Um, yeah so st- stable coins um basically mean they have a st- um um stable um value um, compared to goods you can um purchase with them uh, most stable coins currently uh, are pegged to the dollar or the euro uh, so one example uh, from abroad is dai which is a decentralized stable coin so it has an algorithmic way of keeping the peg to the dollar uh then you have um circle usd or or tether usd which are backed by uh real fiat dollars on a bank account uh, that's in 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 my opinion that's a form of electronic money um <clears throat> then uh, a great example is ogminturo which is just getting started it's a hungarian project uh, they basically programmed a single um single level banking system uh in a set of smart contracts and ogmint has a euro pegged uh, to the euro and it's also an algorithmic and decentralized stable coin and um so stable coins solve one thing but uh, they still cannot solve uh f- for example the problem of um 
uh, throughput. So um, currently there are no real uh, um, live uh, crypto systems that could um, serve uh, PayPal's needs or, or Visa's needs or, or even cash needs or, or banking, um, um, the transaction throughput of the uh, current banking system. So I think that's, that's another set of problem that uh, uh, I think in the next five years uh, will get, uh, we'll get solved sooner or later. There are many ways people try to solve it. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the best way would be, uh, but uh, I think these are non, non um, these are solvable problems. I'm not quite familiar with stable coins, but uh, if it's linked to fiat currencies like dollar or euro, then it's not a currency anymore because it doesn't have uh, price, uh, doesn't have a floating price, but it's linked linked to the dollar, then it's uh, electronic money. It's a safe card, yeah. For example, it's a it's a way of way we can pay, but it's not money. The money is foreign. The currency is foreign behind it. So, uh, if if something is linked to a fiat currency, that's not a currency on its own, but a form of payment, which is good, which can be used. Okay, but still, I don't uh, see the real value behind it, the real innovation behind it. Um, Setting up something to be a currency, to be stable, it's not an easy job. All the best economists are working in central banks in the globe, Federal Reserve, European Central Bank, Bank of Japan, Bank of England, and so on, to keep the currency stable. That's what we call price stability. We wouldn't like to see hyperinflation, we wouldn't like to see deflation, we would like to see the inflation between 0% and 3%. That's the best for the economy. Or at least for the last uh, 50 years we think it's though that this is the best for the economy. We as the Central Bank of Hungary, our main target is price stability, which means that the inflation should be between 0 and 3%. If it is so, then we do a good job. If it's not, then we do a bad job. That's simple as it is. And it's not very easy. So it's actually, it's a very difficult job. And in the history of, uh, of modern monetary policy and modern economies, uh, this desired state of price stability is quite rare, actually. Even if the best minds in the world work for doing for for achieving that so it's uh it's not just that i will invite something like a stable coin and it will be stable because i say it so it's not uh not that easy yeah so from the technical point of view this whole stable coin stuff is basically an experimentation so it's in the experimentation phase so it's uh yeah it's it's a very risky stuff uh, there are basically many different models. Uh, basically, the, the point is that you get one Bitcoin, you want to make sure that one Bitcoin is one dollar. Well, not Bitcoin, but you, you have your own token or coin for some somehow, and you want to make sure that your coin worth exactly one dollar. So that's basically the idea of stable cryptocurrencies. Uh, there are many ways of doing that, at least three big ways. And again, so basically, in the general circumstances uh, or in general general market conditions no one knows how to keep uh, keep uh, keep a uh, crypto uh, cryptocurrency stable so for instance one of the model is tether uh, tether does in a in a pretty much centralized way so they basically have one account 
a bank account in Singapore and the limited company. So basically, if you if you transfer one dollar, you get one one tether. Uh, that's the that's the business model. So it's actually pretty shit because it's pretty much centralized. There's a huge counterparty risk because if the company closes, if there's no money on the bank account, if the Sing Singapore government says, hey, we don't want you guys here anymore, then basically the whole market will collapse. So basically Tether is just a guarantee by this only one company. So even if they say, hey, that's crypto, that's decentralized and so on, for instance, just making Tether, uh, doing Tether in a stable way, just, just pegging the price itself, works on a centralized model. So it's not so cool. There are many other, other, other ideas as well, but not much survives these market conditions that you see on the chart. Uh, I think MakerDAO is the, is, the, is the next one. MakerDAO works in a way that you have MakerDAO, that's a coin you want to make, you want to pack to dollar. So basically what you do, you don't buy directly dollar, but you buy uh, Ether. Ether is the coin of Ethereum. So for one, one maker DAO, you buy actually Ether for $2. So you overestimate or you over-secure somehow your... Uh, Over-collateralize you. Exactly, exactly. You over-collateralize your, your money, basically. And you are motivated somehow that you that in, instead of one one dollar value eater, you keep two dollar value eater in your bank bank or not bank account, but in your crypto cryptocurrency wallet for some reasons. So that's one of the other other way that's that's working. And there are many initiatives, but actually, I mean, with these market conditions that that you see on the chart, most of them actually failed. I, I think what's important to see here is that um, <clears throat> um, the creation of, of money um, uh, became dem democratized, which means that, um, um, so from one point of view, it's uh, really hard to come up with a new currency and a new form of money uh, because that was um, is essentially a monopoly of, of nation states um, up till uh, 2009. And, uh, and now, with some programming and um, um, economics and game theory and um, experience, and maybe we could list at least 10 more um, areas of, of um, science and arts that uh, you, you have to know to create your own form of money. But now, anyone uh, with a computer at home uh, can create a new form of money and start to experiment with that. And I'm not saying that, but that we will have thousands of working currencies, but we, we will have tens of thousands of experiments um, to come up with a new currency. And um, that means uh, we, will have, um, uh, we will have kind of a Cambrian explosion of new currencies, and uh, we will have 50,000 experiments and 90, 90, 49,500 will ultimately fail. Uh, but we always learned uh, something new on, along the way, uh, and that knowledge was put into the next version and the next iteration. And uh, you could never do that with um, nation-states money, because uh, you would experiment on, on a whole country level. And um, here you have users who um, voluntarily join the system, accept the risk, and start using it, and, and fail, and learn from that. Um, and that's why, um, so current stable coins are really, really uh, a very early experiment, and we are um, uh, binding them to euros, dollars, uh, yuans, um, and existing currencies, because that's what we can relate to. Um, but 
as soon as we will have more and more uh, real-world transactions uh, on the blockchain, and uh, those could be tagged somehow. Uh, that means you will have uh, more and more information about the e economy. You will, ha you will see the real um, um, demand for money, and it will make, make it much easier to match the supply to that money. And uh, that means um, um, you can have either uh, uh, manual or hybrid or, or fully automated um, um, central bank. But the idea is that uh, you, you could create a new form of money that, that is only tied to a, a consumer goods basket. Um, and uh, the price discovery and um, demand discovery will happen through the blockchain because uh, uh, part of the economy already runs on the blockchain. And this would happen, I, I'm not saying this will happen tomorrow, but it may happen in the next 10 to 20 years. And, and I think that will be the point where it starts to get interesting. I mean, that will be the point where um, we will be able to create a new form of money uh, that has better stability, price stability, than um, our current form of national currencies. Let me just shortly react to these uh, very inter interesting thoughts. Uh, um, having thousands of different currencies at the same time, or let's say liberalizing, democratizing, uh, or you, you mentioned that democratizing the issuance of, uh, of money. Actually, I rather think it as an anarchy than, than a real democratic or liberalized way. <laughs> uh, in the early stages of the United States of America, uh, there were hundreds of different dollars, not just one, and they had different uh, prices to each other. Every different bank could issue dollars. Every state had its own national dollars until the Federal Reserve System has been introduced in, uh, in 1913. And after that, uh, the Federal Reserve System became the had the monopoly for the dollar to handle the dollar. But still, probably uh, many, many doesn't know that uh, issuing money or creating money is not the monopoly of the central banks. We, as the Central Bank of Hungary, we only have the monopoly to issue printed money, banknotes. That's our monopoly, we keep that. Uh, actually, we think there's a lot out there of banknotes. We would like to reduce the number, but uh, still, that's the only monopoly we have. Money, uh, the, the money that we use, we transfer from one bank account to another, what we use with our uh, credit cards and bank cards, that's actually created by the banking system, by own banks. Every bank, when a credit is issued, the credit is disbursed to any customers, then new money is created. So actually, it's already been uh, liberalized, already a democratic way, but we only have the monopoly for setting the monetary policy, for steering how the banks behave, how the banks work, and how many they produce, create out of the money, or how much they create out of those money. So we set the, the base rate, we have different dozens of programs to steer the banking system 
to have some impact on the money supply or the money demand. I wouldn't think that in the near future, in, in, in 10 or 20 years, it can be automized. It only can be automated if the whole government, the whole state uh, control system is automated. I think this, for now, it seems to be some utopia. Maybe in the far future, in, in, in science fiction, it would appear, but I wouldn't say that in 10 or 20 years we would use cryptocurrencies in, in our daily life, or at least I really don't believe that. Yeah, so for this topic, basically, yeah, there are a couple of theories that like uh, there shouldn't be like one money per country, but several ones. That's the Austrian School of Economics, if I'm not mistaken, like Hayek, for instance, and Mises. Uh, it's it's pretty much questionable. It's it's that's the right way or not. But so just just an, as an analogy, so you might as well consider the the boom of different communications technologies in the in the in the in the last couple of years. So at the moment, if you just sit before the computer or work with the companies, you get like 20 channels or 30 channels of communicating different apps, different Facebook, I don't know, and other stuffs. And basically, it's just too much. Uh, but the answer is not somehow making it smaller, but like creating new digital ass assistants that handles somehow that's too much uh, or too many communication channels. So it might be a similar way on a long run with several multiply uh, concurrenting uh, uh, currencies or tokens or assets that basically, yeah, sure, there's a lot, uh, you can handle it, but basically you have intelligent assistants and apps that can handle basically the 1,000 currencies or crypto tokens, I would say, that you basically use on a daily basis. Well, future will tell who is right or wrong. We're not going to uh, find that uh, today. But actually, uh, I really enjoy uh, experiencing and seeing all these experimentations uh, like all you guys mentioned. I think it's quite uh, exciting times. I was playing Lego when it happened with the internet, so I'm happy that now I can follow it and figure out uh, where it's going to go. And uh, yeah, talking about the internet, it's, uh, it's true that uh, there are many uh, obstacles and uh, difficulties with uh, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, and uh, one can see it as uh, obstacles, but maybe one, some people see it as possibilities. And uh, there were times when they said that Internet will fail because no one will ever be able to find anything on Internet. Yahoo saw it uh, as a possibility, or Google saw the possibility in it, and uh, now we are here, so I hope we can get back together in 20 years, have a similar panel, and reflect to this. My favorite uh, issue with the cryptocurrencies is the security issue. Uh, actually, it's a little ironic that uh, I use cryptocurrencies and then I write down my code on a paper which I uh, put it in a bank's safety box. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit controversial. But uh, we talked enough, I think, about the problems. What I would be interested in, in your opinion, what is Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrencies best suited for? How can we use them? Is it a currency? We talked about that. Is it um, a speculative asset? Is it a digital cash? What, what is it best for? Or is it purely money laundering? Sorry for being negative, but uh, it's good for anti-money laundering. It's very favored by uh, cocaine barons in, uh, 
in Colombia because their biggest problem was how to transfer money between the United States and Colombia. Not, not the drug because drug was easily trafficked, trafficked, but the money it was it was a real challenge. Now with Bitcoin, it's easy. Um, yes, it's a speculative product. It can be used for speculation, but now I do not see real usage, real value of, of using Bitcoin if you are not about to speculate with it. If you if you want to gain some profit with that, okay, it's 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 fine. It has risks, but it's it's your opinion. But who uses on a daily basis, those are mostly the, uh, the those ones who want to be want want to be intransparent, who wants to be anonymous, who wants to hide something. <coughs> For now, we see that. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and we should abolish cash because most of the illicit transactions uh, are done through a piece of paper where the central, uh, governor of the Central Bank of Hungary has personally signed, uh, and it also says it's issued by the Central Bank of Hungary, and they use it, that currently to buy drugs. So I completely agree that uh, we should abolish cash because, uh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Cash should be abolished. <laughs> It's my personal opinion, but if I, uh, if it was up to me, I would abolish cash and uh, uh, work like uh, the Scandinavians who doesn't any use cash anymore. And if you use cash in, like, for example, Sweden, then uh, it, it, it is very suspicious for everyone else. Yeah, um, also, it would help the central bank uh, go into negative interest rates. So if you don't have cash, then there's no problem with uh, going into negative. And uh, yeah, so um, <coughs> the other thing is that um, um, about money laundering, uh, there, uh, there have been so many reports uh, coming from um, World Bank or Europol. Um, where they um, created a list, list of um, high-risk and low-risk Businesses and types and, and, and forms of value transfer um, to see which ones have the higher uh, risk of money laundering. And top of the list uh, was banks, um, banks, brokerages, um, accounting firms, um, law firms, and on on the bottom part uh, was cryptocurrency. And um, <clears throat> and and that's for a reason. Um, at, at least with Bitcoin, it can be traced. And uh, if you're stupid enough to sell drugs online and accept Bitcoin as a form of payment, then one of the three-letter agencies will knock on your door and, and throw you into jail because, uh, because it's all traceable. And uh, with uh, mass surveillance and connecting metadata, uh, you can easily be tracked way easier than with cash or uh, with bank transfers. So if you want to get caught, please use Bitcoin and then... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but uh, and for usefulness, I think I think uh, what what's really important um, with cryptocurrencies as, and not necessarily Bitcoin. Bitcoin may be a, uh, become a form of speculative investment now, but with um, uh, stable coins and programmable money, you can do so many new things that wasn't uh, possible before. So transferring value at speed of light to the other end uh, of the planet, uh, almost for free, that's only one thing that will sure enable uh, many things and uh, will enable economic freedom and, and wealth creation uh, in areas of the world where there, there is no um, evolved banking, banking uh, or financial infrastructure. 
It would also help uh, areas of the world where um, um, an oppressive regime um, is uh, is ruling on the people, and that's four four billion people live under oppressive regimes, uh, and uh, they need some form of of currency uh, or money that they can use um, uh, without uh, being subverted, and uh, and finally, right now, Bitcoin does this, even though. I don't think Bitcoin is, is a good form of money, but still in Venezuela, it's still a good form of money. So losing 86% of its value in one year, uh, you kept most of your money because if you would have it in uh, Bolivars, then you lost 99.99999% of it. So that's still good. And uh, they use that to survive. Uh, but I think that uh, when, when stable coins will become ubiquitous and universal, and um, will um, have you will have the ability to use it uh, really on a on a, um, a super supranational scale. Um, so thousands or tens of thousands of transactions per second. It will it will enable uh, global trade on a level that uh, wasn't possible before. So back to the original question, basically the, the basic value proposition of, of Bitcoin transferring value on a global level in a fully decentralized way without, without the possibility to, to censor uh, or making a censorship for your transaction. So that's the value proposition of the whole Bitcoin network. How it's regulated, how it's accepted, that's a totally other thing. But from a, from a technological point of view, that's the value proposition. And well, this is a this is a brilliant technology. So I mean, just just one story. Basically, it was four years ago. I moved from Frankfurt to Zurich, and basically I rented an apartment. But I didn't. So it was a private apartment, so I couldn't pay while, but, uh, with uh, with credit card. So I transferred money from my bank from Frankfurt to Zurich. It was taking three days. It costed twenty euro or twenty five euros. So. It was ridiculous. I mean, just you know. I mean, basically. So we don't we did we don't speak about transferring from from Bekes Chaba show money to Kuala Lumpur, but from Frankfurt to Zurich, which are basically two major two major cities uh, of finance in Europe. Actually, Zurich is on the world in the world. So, and then so I was actually considering of of putting the money in cash. Traveling from Frankfurt to Zurich, which which takes actually three and a half hours, and giving the landlord the money that hey, I'm gonna live here in the next couple of months. But so I basically choose the the banking transaction. It was pretty expensive. It was pretty slow. So comparing with that stuff, Bitcoin is is a brilliant technology. Good thing you did well, you well, didn't do it with cash because you would be in jail for uh, being a money launderer. <laughs> No, it's oh, just a joke. It's, it's not true. <laughs> uh, what is the settlement uh, uh, time of Bitcoin? Because it's not instant. You know, it usually takes two days, uh, depending on the uh, on the crypto exchange. But it's of course you get the money seemingly, but the settlement behind it is uh, it's two days. If you use bank cards, then it's instant. Now. Of course, the settlement behind it is also two days. What we are working on in the Central Bank of Hungary together with Giro is a five-second bank transfer in Hungary. It will happen in this year that from one bank account to another, five, it would only take five seconds for the money to arrive. And 
then you will see, and that's that's that will be a revolution in how we pay because you won't wouldn't need bank cards, credit cards anymore to pay in the shops, but you would need only a QR code, you would need only a phone, you would need only maybe your ID card. It has an NFC chip built in and you can pay with your ID card then. So uh, it's, it has a lot of opportunities and possibilities. Uh, so it doesn't uh, need the blockchain technology to be instant, to be fast. Is the problem of the very complicated settlement systems that work uh, in the banking system, but the European Central Bank is also working on an instant payment system, an instant transfer system, so it won't, won't, won't take three days anymore uh, from transferring, uh, for transferring from Frankfurt to Zurich, but it will be also made instantly or in a few seconds. Of course, this five seconds, it, it takes a lot to a uh, lot, lot of investments. Um, talk to any uh, bank, uh, banking IT guys, how much effort and money it takes for the banks and for us to create a system like that. But it could work and it has a lot of opportunities. Uh yeah, absolutely. Um, um, first of all, uh, Bitcoin has a block time of uh, on the average 10 minutes, which means that the settlement, uh, uh, you, you, you can get your transactions settled in 10 minutes, uh, given you pay enough minor fees. Right now, uh, it's around $20 cent um, to get into the next block. So uh, for $20 cent, uh, you can get settled in, in 10 minutes. And that's true that there were times where it took uh, two to three days. So in 2017, um, December, uh, during the hype, everyone was buying Bitcoin and then you need to settle uh, your transaction. And, um, and uh, Bitcoin has a, um, an artificial limit for transactions and, uh, and um, <clears throat> There was, there's, there's, uh, there's basically a civil war um, going on. Well, it kind of settled now, but uh, there was uh, one part of the community that said that uh, uh, Bitcoin um, should become um, expensive to use and, and it's, it's a speculative asset. And uh, the other part of the community um, said, including me, that uh, we fell in love with the notion of purely digital peer-to-peer uh, -peer cash and it should be instant and almost free. Um, and so the Bitcoin divided into Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, basically. And, um, <clears throat> but there are so many uh, other cryptocurrencies which provide a few second um, settlement or maybe one to two minutes. So uh, obviously two days is not, not the goal. And I think uh, if the Bitcoin core developers uh, keep up with uh, this limit. I don't see as uh, I don't see Bitcoin as um, um, having a high chance of becoming um, a settlement layer because um, if um, if you want to settle within Europe, you will use uh, the ECB's um, instant settlement. You will not use Bitcoin because no one will pay a hundred dollars for a settlement if you can do it for uh, nine euro cents through the ECB. Uh, but then on, on the other hand, uh, you said that um, um, the Hungarian Central Bank is working, and I think uh, on uh, instant transactions or instant payments, and it will go live this July, if I'm if I'm right. Um, that's really cool. Hopefully, yes. I think it depends on the banks. But um, but can you use that payment system to send money to Tokyo or Jakarta or Kuala Lumpur or Sao Paulo or even to Zurich or New York? Uh, 
um, and 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 that's the point here. That um, so this this will be basically a, a countrywide um, Venmo or PayPal, which is pretty cool, and I. I um, I would love to pay with my phone and and not having the money go around. Um, you know, when you pay with your Mastercard or Visa, it goes through at least four or five banks, uh, and then goes out of the country and comes back in, which uh, is complete nonsense. Um, and it also costs a lot because of the chargeback uh, um, risk. Um, but for um, this type of instant payment um, uh, network. If I would be the central bank, I would do it myself. I mean, I, I, that would help um, uh, ring fence uh, the banks, um, the commercial banks, uh, risky businesses from the payment system. So uh, you could run the payment system in parallel uh, and you wouldn't have to uh, risk deposits um, of customers uh, when a bank goes south. And I know that there are um, <clears throat> Um, how do you call the deposit um, uh, deposit insurance? Yeah, there's deposit insurance, uh, which ultimately, in the end, customers pay. Uh, you wouldn't need deposit insurance if the central bank would be running the payment system and uh, would have accounts for everyone. And then banks could uh, could do all the um, loans and and insurance and all the other uh, products they currently do. And that way, you you would separate. Uh, the risk down from the banking system. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm here to get us back uh, to Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain. But uh, I think it would be worse to listen to Barnabas's ideas about instant payment system. But maybe it's a little late now, now that it's coming. Uh, whatever. I promised you a sparking discussion. I'm very happy that it seems like two microphones are not enough for us. So I think that's a good sign. And I think we could be talking about cryptocurrencies all day and instant payment and many other things. But uh, this is my role to get back um, where we want to be. So from now on, I would like to concentrate on the second topic of uh, our podcast today, which is blockchain as a technology. So uh, what we would like... What I would like to do uh, now is talk about the technology. And the reason for this is that many experts say that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto's greatest impact was not even Bitcoin, but the underlying mechanism, which later been uh, called blockchain or distributed ledger technology. Many experts believe that blockchain will have such a big impact on our everyday lives as businesses and internet did. The reason for this is that while the internet, the transfer... Um, with the internet, the transfer of information became free and instant. They say that that's the potential blockchain has with value, with anything that has value. While blockchain was deemed, uh, was deemed pure science fiction only a few years ago, today it is a scientific fact, rapidly increasing its impact on diverse industries such as finance, insurance, education, governance, supply chain, intellectual properties, and many others. So before we get into uh, blockchain, Danny, uh, could you help us a little bit uh, to have a little transition from cryptocurrencies to blockchain? So what's the difference between private and public blockchains? Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty happy that it's my round and I can just you know, I mean, make connect, connection between the topics. So I'm, so I'm sure that the transfer is going to come between... Frankfurt and Zurich uh, with banking transactions. And the banking gonna use actually 
the same technology which is behind Bitcoin, which is the blockchain, only an in interbanking setup uh, with, a, with a platform basically which, which focuses only to interbanking connections, but again using the same ba basic blockchain technologies like transactions, like distributed networks and so on. There are basically platforms uh, this direction like uh, Corda or, or, or the Ripple network basically. But so that was just a connection between, between the to topics. So, so just, just answering the question, uh, basically it looks that way. So from an IT perspective, blockchain is nothing more than a protocol. It's like a TCP IP protocol 50 years ago. TCP IP was capable of, of transferring information between two points. Blockchain is, is able to, you can set up protocols to transferring value between two actors around the world. And well, the focusing, I mean, from a focusing question, of course, the question is who are these two actors? So if these two actors are, are basically people or persons around the world, then it's something which is, let me put it that way, that's a customer to customer market. It's like Bitcoin. But basically you can imagine in a, in a business to business relationship as well. So basically if you want to transfer value between two banks, uh, then it's, it's possible with the same technology. So that's like a consortium, that's like an enterprise use case. And basically in consortium and enterprise use cases, we get, we get a lot of scenarios. It's, I, mean the I mean, the field is even newer than actually Bitcoin itself. So uh, it's even more in the, in the experimentation phase. But I just give one example for you that's basically supply chain and trade finance. So let me imagine a very simple situation. We want to bring a mobile phone actually from, uh, from China to Hungary and we want to sell. So basically, if we have such a scenario, that's, that's something which is, which is a supply chain. You know, I mean, there's a manufacturer in China, there are some tra transportation companies around the globe, like with train, like with shipment, uh, and there are some, some shipment companies in, in Europe as well. Probably the ship won't stop actually in Budapest, so we have to transfer that, that mobile phone some to, to Hungary, and basically we sell that mobile phone. So this, this is a multi-actor, multi-company use case, uh, multi-company supply chain, where basically if you want to do any kind of co uh, cooperation, then the only, only technology is blockchain, because you can't actually deliver something as a, as a centralized technology, like with a centralized database, because the parties won't actually agree where to put that database and who should, who should administrate that, uh, that database. So this is a supply chain example, and if you just want, make, want to make some kind of a coordination some kind of an IT system which sets up basically a process, some kind of a communication or a collaboration process between these companies, between these industrial actors, then actually the consortium blockchain is, is the, probably the best technology. Um, I couldn't agree more that uh, blockchain is a quite blockchain technology itself, it, it could be a, 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 a brilliant thing and it could be a revolution as we saw it with the internet. And uh, from a technological part, yes, a private blockchain or, or, or even a public blockchain can revolutionize uh, how we send information, how we, uh, how we store data in, 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 in many ways. So I agree that uh, even the uh, banking infrastructure can be set uh, on, on blockchain. We, Central Bank of Hungary is also working on a blockchain project to put the uh, collateral behind credits, the insurance of collaterals 
behind credits on a blockchain basis. So all the banks and insurance companies and the uh, central uh, credit register agency is also a member or will become a member of this blockchain and uh, they could easily access the information and easily uh, uh, change the information in an instant way and that's the biggest value in that. So uh, from the technological point of view I, I, I'm quite positive on, on, on blockchain. Of course I know that blockchain was discovered or, or, or created through Bitcoin. And Sakoshi Nakamoto, who actually we don't know who he is because it's not very transparent, he's like anonymous. Uh, but uh, actually, he, as he developed the blockchain technology, probably he wanted to earn money with that, so he created Bitcoin because that's the easiest way to make money with the blockchain technology. But the blockchain technology itself can work without crypto assets as well and it has great value and everyone should consider whether to use it or not. There are some question marks, huge question marks, like the great energy consumption of creating a decentralized public blockchain system. It's, it could be an issue, so cheap energy is the biggest support for creating a, a, a blockchain. The other thing is that uh, it is security, because now we think that uh, blockchain is the most secure and most uh, encrypted way of storing and sending, transferring information. That's what we thought a uh, hundred years ago uh, on Enigma, which was considered unhackable, unbreakable. Actually, with the uh, development of technology, it became hackable in a very easy way. Now, hacking Enigma is uh, like um, my mobile phone would do it if, uh, if I ask it to, even more complicated uh, encryption. So if the technology advances, quantum computers appear, which they are in a, in a pilot phase as far as I know, then the blockchain has also, or, or blockchain needs to change its encryption system to a quantum crypto system, otherwise it could be easily breakable. And with the decentralized way of storing the information, if it is hacked in one point, then the whole blockchain will collapse and the whole information storage of the system will collapse. Bitcoin would collapse if, uh, uh, in, in a second if one at some point someone could hack the blockchain and uh, uh, and, and overrun the encryption in it. Um, yeah, one, one, <coughs> well, there are two things that need um, to be cracked and that's not Bitcoin specific. So one is um, hashing algorithm and then the other is the uh, encryption and signing algorithm uh, called elliptic curve cryptography. And uh, if, these, if one of these gets uh, cracked, then we have bigger problems than um, <clears throat> Bitcoin because uh, the whole banking system, military, and, and everything uh, runs on that. And uh, but there, are, there are always new cryptographic uh, methods coming out, um, and, uh, and we already have uh, lots of uh, quantum-proof cryptographic methods. So, but what I said is that uh, if you have a centralized system, then you can easily change the encryption if you uh, if the technology advances. In this, in a decentralized way, it's not that easy. 
Yeah, well, um, let's see the case of, of uh, Bitcoin. One ha so someone um, hacks uh, elliptic curve cryptography and uh, they are able to produce um, signatures for transactions that are not theirs, which means uh, spending people's money, other people's money. Um, that means if, if you can do that, uh, if that comes out, then uh, what you can do is uh, change the algorithm and um, start not accepting blocks from that point on that have um, these old types of signatures. So the, the previous ones, even if, if someone would come and spend the previous transaction or uh, spend uh, previous money and sign uh, with the old method, uh, the nodes on the network and the miners will not accept it as a valid transaction because, uh, um, because that was cracked. And, uh, that means, um, I don't know, starting from block number 500,000, we will only accept um, whatever new types uh, of signature. And um, even though uh, you could spend other money technically, uh, practically you couldn't because the network wouldn't let you. Uh, and the network, uh, network's best interest is to not let you. Uh, otherwise, the network's uh, built-in native um, currency, let's... Uh, call it currency now. So the built-in thing called Bitcoin uh, will lose its value. So the network is motivated to keep uh, um, keep up with this. But I also completely ag agree that um, um, uh, security is very important. And in with private blockchains, uh, uh, private blockchains have a really low security uh, compared to b uh, public blockchains that have a massive amount of, of um, mining power behind them. Because um, um, so if, if you want to um, revert a transaction on, um, on the private blockchain, you have to go to um, a number of consortium members, which may be three or five or 10 or 20, but they are known known entities and you can just go there and uh, tell them, hey, please sign this transaction or redo the entire uh, blockchain because there is no mining behind it. There is no uh, work power. Um, <clears throat> if you would want to revert uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever transactions, uh, you would need to get uh, that amount of hashing power that was uh, put into um, that transaction and uh, uh, the farther it is in, in the past, uh, the more money and uh, the more uh, computers you need uh, to work on that. Or the other way is uh, find, the find the miners and uh, tell them, hey, please reverse this transaction, which, is, uh, uh, which, which you cannot do because miners are anonymous for a reason, um, because um, the network can be censorship resistant and resilient if uh, you cannot find and bribe the miners. So that's a very important point. If you can find the miners and you can bribe them, then uh, it won't be secure because uh, if you can bribe the miners, you can reverse transactions and it's not secure um, already. So um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm pretty skeptic about uh, private blockchains. It, there may be some use cases and I, I think uh, um, so consortium uh, blockchains and these distributed ledgers are kind of um, a hype now or I think it started to get down so we're already past the hype curve. Uh, but people want to put too many things on a, a private blockchain uh, where it's not meant to be put there because um, <clears throat> 
well, it, it's very easy to get funding. Uh, you know, if you work at a big com at a big company and then you present your uh, new project, uh, you know, uh, to the board, and then you can easily get a few millions of euros of funding for your pet project, which is a blockchain, whatever, uh, even if it doesn't make any sense. And uh, <clears throat> I think it's worth um, um, going through there. <clears throat> there's um, a really good. Um, flow diagram uh, prepared by an IST. Uh, do, you, do you have that? Uh, which shows you where, where you may really, re really have a, a blockchain use case. So, um, so first is, do you need a shared consistent data store? Uh, uh, no, well, consider spreadsheets. Um, does more than one entity need to contribute data? No, then uh, you have a database use case. Uh, data records once written are never updated or deleted. No, then consider a database. Uh, sensitive identifiers will not be written to the data store. Because if you write sensitive IDs and then uh, someone gets the keys, uh, then uh, everyone has uh, all of the data. So you, you shouldn't write sensitive information into the data store. <coughs> so if you have that, then consider an encrypted database. Um, are the entities uh, with right access having hard time deciding who should be in control, control of the data store? So exactly what you were talking about. Um, well, if they can decide on who controls the data store, then um, consider a managed database. Uh, then you, do you want tem temper-proof log of all the rights to the data store? Uh, yes, then you may have a use for for a blockchain, and these are very, uh, there are quite a few use cases, so um, um, supply chain trade finance is one of uh, the biggest one, I think, um, also, um, <clears throat> also, um, how do you call these, um, go government registers, uh, land registers, um, stuff like that. that, that's also a very good use case for blockchain, I think, but, uh, but still, um, um, most of these uh, for security, for high security, should be somehow linked to uh, a, a public blockchain uh, just to get the, um, the security that it cannot be reversed. Yes, yes, uh, Donny, you will get that, Mike. Uh, for sure, it's funny, uh, when we were preparing to uh, this uh, podcast, I asked the guys if there would be any uh, diagrams that maybe they would like to uh, point out, then send it to me, and then I will put it in this uh, little presentation. Well, these guys started having arguments already with those, because I just got this... Um, um, from Barnabas, but I also got another when to use blockchain um, uh, from Donny as well. So, uh, Donny, the floor is yours. Please uh, give us your arguments. And also, because uh, we are running out of time, can you also mention some real use cases that are already out? And it's not science fiction, but it is in use uh, to help us imagine a little bit how blockchain will change our lives. Yeah, so not sure which for which topic should I react first. Um, but so basically, again, from a, from a conceptual perspective, blockchain is a is a value transfer. Bitcoin is a value transfer on a on a C to C customer to customer basis. Actually, consortium blockchain is the same idea. You transfer value between institutions in a way that basically institutions do not fully trust each other. So that's actually with Bitcoin. I want to transfer money with someone on the other other part of the world. 
I don't know that guy, I don't trust that guy, I expect that the system provides me the security. So that's basically the same idea with consortium, consortium blockchain as well. Only difference is I know actually the other party. So the other party is not unknown, but I don't fully trust him or them or because, you know, I mean, that's business. So I want the mobile phone from China actually, but I won't reveal all of my possible data to the China's companies because I, I won't trust them basically. But at least I know them for some reasons, uh, for some, some amounts. So basically actually the, the security level of the whole system can be smaller as well. Uh, if you have a system in which a lot of unknown uh, uh, people, including hackers and everybody changing values, then for sure you need a much higher security. In a consortium blockchain, basically you run your nodes with the companies, like with the China's manufacturer company, like with the transportation companies, like with the, with the point of sales here in Hungary. So these are actually companies. Uh, sure, I mean, if they want to reverse the transaction, they can agree, and if everybody agrees, they can reverse the transaction. So the security level is, is lower, but the trust level is lower as well, actually. And well, from a hacking perspective, the situation is not so easy, because if you want to hack basically uh, a Bitcoin network, then everybody can download basically a peer and buy some networking power and try to hack the network. In a consortium network, you have to break in into the IT of each of these companies. So this is a, so there's a, like the manufacturer company in China, they, has an, they have an ID, they have a node practically. So if you want to hack for that, that node, then you have to break into one company and it's not enough because there's something which is at least a 33% of of, uh, of security margins, so at least you have to break in to different companies, at least to 33% of the whole network, and then you, you as a hacker can do something with the transaction. So I would say it's even 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 more difficult to hack such a system than than, than hack a sim, sim, uh, simple single uh, enterprise IT basically. But so this is the this is the uh, main consideration, and I would say from the other point uh, other other point of view, you are absolutely right. So if you have a use case which works in a fully trusted way, so we have one actor, everybody has to trust that actor, everybody has to provide all of the information for that actor, and only that actor can change the, basically the data, that's a fully trusted model. If you have fully trusted model, use the, use the database. You don't need blockchain, because that's a fully trusted uh, setup. So this is the consideration somewhere between, between a consortium blockchain and the database and the public blockchain. Uh, again, consortium blockchain is in a, in, a, in a consortium setup where the members actually know for some amount each other, but they don't fully trust each other. So that's the market or that's the value proposition of, of consortium and, and enterprise blockchains. There's one more thing basically. Uh, Perhaps it's a little bit more technical, but there's there's initiatives of, of building uh, with the blockchain technology something as highly highly secure uh, systems. It's called uh, Byzantine fault tolerance. It practically means if you have a system and you have a normal fault tolerance, if some of your like you have a couple of nodes and couple of or servers, couple of servers doing some kind of a service basically that you want to to make available for your customer. So classical fault tolerance means if some of your nodes goes down because there's no electricity, for instance, then the service, then the system, despite works. Uh, Byzantine fault tolerance means if some of your servers, some of your nodes are hacked 
but not all of them, then your system, your service still gonna work. That's Byzantine fault tolerance. So that's another direction. It's a little bit technical, so not not so much hyped, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, actually, my, myself, uh, I'm not a tech guy. I'm an economist, and uh, I doesn't have a deep knowledge in blockchain technology. Uh, probably, and I'm not involved in the central bank's blockchain project, probably I would say that it doesn't fit all the criteria that are s stated here, uh, because we decided in the central bank to build up the blockchain system of uh, collateral insurance uh, to build up a knowledge, not just for us, but for the whole financial system of blockchain. Build up the knowledge and uh, then we can go on with that and decide whether to use blockchain technology in other fields of the financial system or whether to use the normal database technology, the centralized database technology, because in many cases it just works fine. It, uh, um, actually, it, it can be improved in many ways and we are improving that. So we are building up, for example, a credit register system in which every credit that is disbursed in Hungary will be, uh, will be registered with more than 200 attributes. So from each of every credit in Hungary, we'll have more than 200 uh, data points, information points, with which we can supervise the whole financial system better and Avoid all the all the all the risks that uh, could uh, could arise and could happen, like all those risks that the FX lending scheme was uh, almost ruining our, our our financial system and ruining the uh, the confidence in our financial system. So we stand for avoiding those cases. We have a couple minutes left. Danny, can I ask you to mention some uh, real use cases, examples of where blockchain is used today? Uh, we mentioned trade finance, but some other examples for that? Yeah, so like one is supply chain, like for instance, uh, food supply chain from, from, from IBM. Uh, so basically the idea that there are small companies uh, producing and uh, providing food basically for Walmart. It's used actually at Walmart. So this is a pretty complicated supply chain setup, basically. If one of the ingredients is wrong, because coincidentally you handled your ingredients uh, uh, with Cyan, for instance, or <laughs> something bad, then basically you have to cover the, your whole supply chain and make sure that every, every food product, basically, at every store which is infected for some reasons with this, with this strongly handled ingredients uh, will be rolled back. Uh, and then basically in, in such a such a thing, uh, uh, again, so delivering a centralized database solution still didn't work. Uh, providing blockchain uh, seems to work or seems to be the answer. I mean, it's pretty new, basically, uh, the technology. Another initiative is the same idea. That's for that's for uh, that's for the automobile industry because the automobile industry is, is basically a big pretty much a mess as well. So there are a lot of small companies doing a lot of like, I don't know, small stuffs of your car. Uh, and and most of the small companies provide some some specialized product basically for the big ones like for, for, for Audi and for BMW. So basically you get somewhere at the end of BMW and there's one 
I don't know, your motor block, one part of your motor block is for some reasons faulty, then basically this, this part was probably produced by several small companies, and this part can be probably found somewhere in Audi as well and in, in, in Volkswagen. So basically, uh, to make sure that if something wrong, uh, and to, to actually roll back all the impacts or all the effects of that uh, wrong, wrong product on wrong very, very small part of your motor block, in the whole industry, that's again, that's that can be probably supported only by by a blockchain technology, by a distributed ledger technology. So these are these are, for instance, uh, examples. Uh, I don't know what's in my what's in on my slide. <laughs> Other example. Uh, yes, you have some. And by the way, we're gonna put these uh, slides on fintech flows uh, Facebook page. So uh, you are welcome to come and visit and uh, check them out. Uh, Donny, one more question. So um, if we are good enough tomorrow in a one and a half hour workshop, you will be helping us building an, our own blockchain. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so so I'm I'm gonna do a, sh a short workshop actually tomorrow. We we try to build build up a, a consortium blockchain uh, on Hyperledger Fabric Composer in 90 minutes. I mean, from conceptualization to to a ready to go. I mean, not ready to go, but at least a prototype application that you can uh, show somehow. Uh, you need to have a little bit programming experience, not much. Basically, we won't program very much, but you know, so uh, there's there's gonna be code involved. Otherwise, it's, it doesn't work. So there will be no ICO. And no, no, that's that's fully fully consortium, fully enterprise use case. Yeah, not even security token of. <laughs> okay, so we're not gonna make money, but uh, still, it's worth to go. It's an event in Startup Safari, so uh, please register. When and where is it? If someone would like to register, it's uh, it's from from 11 o'clock tomorrow, 11 to to 12:30 uh, at uh, Central European University. I think room is quorum, uh, first floor. Another uh, Utsa 15. Okay, uh, so thank you very much, uh, Donny, Gary, and Barnabas for being with us today. And thank you very much for listening and coming here. I'm very happy uh, this is my first podcast in this form. So I'm happy for that. If you liked what you heard or what you saw, please uh, go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify and uh, follow Fintech Flow so that you don't miss an episode. Tomorrow, Fintech Flow will be here also um, in Startup Safari at this boat, 9 a.m. in the morning. We will be discussing in half an hour, so it's going to be a shorter panel, about uh, financial incubator and accelerator programs. I really have heavyweights uh, on my panel tomorrow as well. We have uh, Daniel Bognar from PricewaterhouseCoopers. We have Balash Faluvegi, who is CEO of a wealth tech company, Blue Ops. And uh, we will have Janos Perecesh, who is general manager of MKB Fintech Lab. So uh, you can still register to that event. I hope uh, you will join us. Thank you for being here uh, with us today. And until then, stay tuned and follow the flow. <laughs>